beloved ministry is inspired by chapter 7, verse 10 of the Song of Songs. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. In this season three of the Beloved podcast, we're going to explore what it means to live in the gaze of God through reflecting on scripture and the stories of the women that we'll speak to. So welcome to our new episode of the Beloved Podcast. We're really delighted that you are here with us today. Thank you for tuning in. I'd like to uh, say welcome, but welcome particularly to Ifa and Esther who are joining us for this episode. Hi, Hi. ladies. Hello. Uh, Well, this season is all about the gaze of God. So as we enter this season of Lent, we want to really just focus in on the theme of whose gaze is most important to me. Now, that can come up in so many different ways because we sometimes present ourselves in a certain way in order to be seen in a certain way that other people's gaze is on us. And sometimes we um, change our behaviour and our patterns of life just to be approved by others. But really, as we know, the whole series is about really tuning into the gaze of God. So that theme of whose gaze is most important to me is what we're going to be looking at. But before we launch into that, I really would love to know, ladies, um, at the beginning of Lent, if you're willing to share kind of what is Lent going to look like for you? So what have you got planned? What's the, you know, feel free to share as much or as little as you want. But if do you want to jump in and share us a little bit about what you've got planned for this Lent? Okay, so... um one of the things that I'm really looking forward to this Lent is the last couple of years during Lent, obviously, we've been a little bit restricted in what we're able to do. Um, but this year, we are a little bit freer. Um, mm. I'm really excited that in our church, we're going to be able to get back to uh, what we've always done for many years in our parish, which is have at seven o'clock on a Friday evening, Stations of the Cross in ah. church. And it's really it's become a really important part of our Lent as a family, um, you know, taking the kids and especially when they were quite little, that business of walking around the church and looking at all the pictures, although maybe some of the words were, were difficult, they could engage with the, the walking around and the looking at the pictures and the pointing at, oh yes, and that's Jesus falling over. Yes, I fall over sometimes too, that sort of conversations. And as they get older, I'm really looking forward to, to doing that together now that they're a little bit older so my eldest has done her confirmation this year she's able to engage at a bit more of an intellectual level so I'm yeah I'm really looking forward to that and being able to do it in person oh yeah there's so many blessings in that I bet that's a real um as they look back on their childhood I bet those kind of Friday evenings will become a real memory for them if that's something yeah. that's happened regularly that's great thanks Ifa and what about you Esther what does Lent look like for you this year do you do you know yet well sort of so um we've actually just moved house literally this week so um yeah it's really exciting for me hearing your kind of parish traditions if because we're so looking forward to getting stuck into a new parish we haven't even been to it yet so mm. we haven't had a weekend um to even go to a sunday mass um so yeah just learning what this new parish what their traditions are how we can get involved and and what lent looks like there is super exciting um in terms of what i'm going to be 
giving up. I've been thinking really hard about this recently because I tend to try and think about what would what would ask the most of me to give it up. And then am I willing to do it? So sometimes it might be like coffee would be the thing that would ask the most of it of me, but with a three-year-old and a nearly one-year-old, no, I'm not willing to give it up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I love you, but I'm not willing to give up coffee. Um, so this year, um, I've never tried this one before. I've seen loads of people give up social media before and I've never done it myself, but I've just been so aware recently, I think particularly with lockdown things and spending so mm-hmm. much time around my children, I've been so aware of um, what are they seeing when they look at me during the day? You know, do they see me attached to my phone or do they see me really present with them? Um, mm-hmm. And I just really felt convicted that Lent this year was was the right time to try and get to break that habit, break that addiction to my phone, I think, which most of us have. But um, yeah, I just really don't want my children to be seeing that. I want them to remember their childhood as me being present. And so I really want to invest in that this Lent. That's That's a great one. That's so good. Yeah, really good. I think um, while coffee may not be uh, your vice that needs to be given up this Lent, um, my husband and I both work from home at the moment. We we per- permanently working from home, and um, we on a morning have so many cups of tea. I can't even begin to tell you. It's like not okay. It's kind of it's not even <laughs> on the hour. Every hour, sometimes it's in between as well. So okay. I'm, I've already started to cut down in the anticipation of um, of giving it up for Lent. Um, sometimes I get a bit overfaced by Lent and want to give up everything and the years that I do that I tend to feel more like it's not working so I'm trying to be really specific so I think there'll be a couple of things but tea is the one that I know I'm going to find hard and this year and is definitely going to be the one that I am willing to go for in spite of the initial headache that I know is coming my way um so yeah that's that and the other thing for me is that um we uh, are in a parish where there's a lot of university students and um, young adults and we're actually um, someone has just proposed that we have a really early morning um, adoration once a week so I am so excited um, because often adoration time is either at the point in the day where my husband and I can eventually have dinner together or you know there's other stuff going on so I'm really excited to be able to hopefully if it goes ahead to commit that uh, time there's a decision still to be made but yeah that that time so that's where uh, my lent is heading oh so thanks for letting us gaze into your lent ladies um but we're gonna gaze back towards the lord and the scripture that we've um chosen to look at today um linked to the theme of what whose gaze is the most important to me is the scripture from mark 5 verses 25 to 34 and if i'm just going to ask you to to read it for us it's a scripture of the hemorrhaging woman it's probably a story that's really familiar to us but as if i read the scripture let's just take a moment to pause again and to really ask the lord when we hear at this time what is it that he is saying to us and you today so if over to you okay and the version that i'm reading is the new international version And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up beside him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realised that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You saw the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Mm, beautiful, thank you. So, ladies, what stands out to you as you hear that scripture and you today? Um, I'll go first and then uh, maybe jump to you if I... Uh, I think there's two things that really stood out to me today. The first is um, where it says that Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And there's something about his like persistence to seek us out, his kind of determination that even if we lost, feel lost in a crowd, that he is still uh, seeking us out. It really reminds me of a quotation from St. John of the Cross, and I can't remember it exactly. But the quotation says something along the lines of, the gist of, no matter how much we are seeking Jesus, even more he is seeking us, his beloved. And that um, line of the scripture really just sums it up for me in a really practical way of how he was um, seeking out that woman in the crowd. And the second thing that stands out to me today is um, just at the end that where he, he just says, or she says that she just knelt before him and told him the whole truth. And there's a little bit of curiosity in me. It's like, what's the whole truth? I want to know what her what her beef is. I want to know what it, what her issues were. Why it was that? What was it in her heart that she was so eager to tell him once uh, their gaze had been captured, once her gaze had been captured by him? Um, and I think there's something in me that loves those moments of prayer where. The perhaps a little bit rare or in particular moments where I, I feel like, oh, this is the moment to tell the Lord about this. He already knows, but I want to tell him the detail from my perspective. So that's where my mind uh, went on that. Ifa, do you want to share? Yeah, I, I actually underlined that, told him the whole truth as well. Um, I don't know if it's just something that I do, but quite often, like if I'm writing in my prayer journal or if I'm praying, I can, you can almost slip into that prayer voice where you try to sound like a holy person in your prayer voice. in your oh, prayer. Yeah. And maybe, you you know, you say things like, you know, I'm going to, I'll be all right with it. You know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give this over to you, but I'm not really giving it over to you. Or like, I'm, you know, my prayer can sound more pious than actually where my heart is. Um, and I thought in that moment, she's trembling with fear. She, there's obviously something that, that wants to come out, but hasn't yet. And in that moment, she feels able to reveal that vulnerability of the whole truth, not just a part of the truth. And I was thinking about, you know, earlier on, it says she'd suffered under so many of those other doctors who'd obviously not 
had the whole picture and not they'd not been able to heal her for whatever reason um but with jesus she was able finally to hand over the 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 profundity of of what was going on with her and and so in that moment there was freedom yeah there's something about not just dealing with the external symptoms but dealing what's at the heart of the problem isn't it that i think that kind of sums up what you were saying there that jesus really got to the heart and not just the external uh symptoms on that yeah thanks ifa esther do you know what i've just been um yeah reading back over that scripture as you were as you were reading it too as a friend um something just struck me for the first time actually which i, I thought i've read the scripture so many times but there's always <laughs> something new isn't there that um she has been to so many doctors she's had so many people get it wrong so the evidence before her has been no one can heal this mm. and yet it's so simple she just hears about jesus and thinks I just have to touch his cloak and I'm going to be healed. You know, she's not naive. It's not just like he can probably heal me. She has seen time and time again that people cannot heal her. She has no reason to believe that Jesus is going to do it. And at what moment must she have had? There's these moments in scripture out there where um, somebody like discovers or has the revelation of who Jesus is as Messiah. Like Simon Peter's revelation, the woman at the well recognizing this this really is the Son of God. Like we're not told about that moment for her, but what a moment that must have been for her to have that conviction. Yeah, you know, nothing else has worked, and there's no reason to believe this. I haven't even met Jesus yet, and yet something in her knows if I just touch his cloak, I'm going to be healed. It's amazing, isn't it? Because actually, as in society at the time she would have been seen as unclean other people's mm. gaze on her would have been awful because they would have stayed away from her they would have you know she wasn't able to enter into certain elements of society and go um into the temple and you know all of those things because she would have been seen as unclean because of her bleeding so that kind of the shame that um has come about of that and i suppose that system in that society of kind of just abandoning her you know there must have been a sense of loneliness as well as the physical problem that i imagine there was a whole load of emotional um problem going on because of the way people viewed her like we know that when people look at us in love we kind of we walk a bit taller we feel a bit kind of oh i can do this you know when someone affirms us and the opposite of that is true that when people gaze on us and you know speak badly of us or even just look at us in a wrong way we're so affected by that aren't we i think yeah. i think yeah, you're right and i think like you said because of the the culture and the tradition at the time because she would have been counted as unclean like even touching someone else was was a real act of rebellion because to touch someone else would have made them unclean you know if she'd approached other preachers other teachers they would have recoiled from her touch because she would have made them unclean and i was as you were talking about that i was thinking about like what it must be like to not be able to have physical contact with people and that that's probably something that lots of people can identify with after the last couple of years of being physically isolated from each other we all know that has a profound effect on us don't we and she must have been yeah like you said so lonely and yet felt empowered to reach out and touch so that you can kind of get where she's coming from with the oh i'm really scared to come forward and say yeah actually that was me and i might have made you unclean but actually jesus completely flips that and he says actually no 
your un- your unclean hasn't made me dirty. In fact, it's the other way around. I've made you whole. Yeah, there's something about that encounter with Jesus that she, like you said, Esther, there's that instinctive about that even though it wasn't a relationship at that point she just heard about him but instinctively she knew that she could trust him that she could risk it that it was worth the risk and i think in that there's something again what you said about the um the fact that so many people had failed her before um it it reminds me i was once um speaking to a priest um and I must, in my usual way of telling a story, and I was saying, well, I spoke to this person and I rang this person and I went to, and I can't remember what the issue was or what the, the situation was, but I remember him turning around really directly and saying, and how many people down the line did you speak to? Was it until you spoke to Jesus? And I was like, oh, you cut me to the heart. So like, that is not okay. But there was, a, there was a sense of actually readdressing where Jesus is in my kind of pecking order of people mm. to go to. Um, yeah, so there's, there's that sense of how we experience that, who we go to first, whether we trust the Lord enough to go yeah. to him first. Yeah. Esther, do you want to share with us a little bit about um, your experience um, of, of going to Jesus and maybe not going to Jesus in that regard? <laughs> Yeah. yeah sure so um i remember i think the first time that i kind of properly delved into this particular scripture is actually at a beloved retreat um and i was a uni student then so i must have been about 19 20 um, and in one of the sessions we did this um sort of meditation in prayer of putting ourselves into this scripture and as i was kind of trying to picture myself in this story i realized that where i could see myself was that I was in the crowd and I was watching this happen and I had got complete faith that Jesus would heal this woman. But looking on from kind of the outskirts, I was thinking, but would he do it for me? And like, actually my belief deep down was no, he wouldn't. You know, it wasn't a question of faith of, of whether he could. I definitely believed wholeheartedly that he could heal that woman, but nothing in me really thought that he would do that for me. And it raised this question for me of, do I want to be seen by Jesus you know, okay, my, my first reaction is to think, oh, no, he wouldn't see me. He wouldn't know that I was there. But then looking deeper, I was like, but do I want him to know I'm there? Because that's a whole other level of vulnerability, isn't it? Like the, the place I was coming yeah. from at that point was, you know, this is a 1920, just a few years before that, when I was about 15, um, I'd struggled with anorexia. And I remember at that point, you know, it, it was around sort of teenage girl friendships and things, you know, everybody is horrible to everybody else the whole mean girls thing and I remember like sitting in a classroom one day just being like if I could get myself so small that I couldn't be simple I wouldn't have to deal with it like I wouldn't have to deal with life and the complications and the heartache and and all of the rest and mm-hmm. um, and then going a couple of years later once I'd recovered from that I went off to uni and I took up rowing and other sports and kind of threw myself into that and went almost completely the opposite way so instead of trying to make myself so small that I couldn't be seen I tried to make myself so tough that it didn't matter like I couldn't be vulnerable I was trying to basically like pound vulnerability out of my life like (laughs) I I would push myself push my body to the limit be like if I can be stronger if I can be faster if I can defend myself basically I don't need anybody else Um, and I think that's (laughs) in one sense that's such a a woman thing as well isn't it you know we want to we want to do things for ourselves like 
and um, my family loved the joke about the first time I ever met my husband, my first words to him were, I'm strong. I was um, <laughs> living in the community house and he, he came out and offered to help me carry my suitcase. And I'd at this point deliberately picked up the heaviest possible box I could because I was like, I'm going to set a precedent. People are going to see me and they're going to know, like, <laughs> don't mess with that. Um, and so he was like, can I, can I help you? And I, was, I literally just went, I'm strong. <laughs> I just, I can still picture his face of being like, uh, um, uh, I know, like, I just, I just, I just offered to help. (laughs) But there is this thing, isn't there, as women that we're like, no, I'm woman. I've got this. I don't need, I don't need a man. Like I need to be able to fend for myself. Mm. Um, And this scripture really hit that in me of actually, I don't want other people to see me. I don't want to be vulnerable. Mm. And really, I think that trans like transferred onto Jesus at that point too. You know, I was sat in that scripture, watching from the crowd, seeing him heal this woman and thinking, I've got things I know need that healing, but I don't want to make myself vulnerable and ask for it. Because if he sees me, he sees everything. And there are things I'm not ready for him to see just yet. And I think this, mm. you know, it takes us right back to the fall, doesn't it? That um, in Genesis with Adam and Eve, it talks about them being naked without shame in the Garden of Eden you know, for them at that point, they could be naked without shame because they did not feel the need to hide anything of themselves from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And this is where we really suffer because of the fall, that that we do feel that need. I feel that need. You know, I, I, I can't be naked without shame. I, I want to cover up. I want to make myself so small that I can't be seen. Or I want to make myself so tough that there's no vulnerability there, that I don't need help. I can be totally independent. Because there is a shame linked to my my nakedness but you know emotional nakedness mm-hmm. i don't want to bear my soul yeah. because it's too vulnerable you know i think um that's so beautiful to share that how do you think this is putting you on the spot a little bit but how do you think people who know you and love you have responded to you since that moment of being vulnerable? Was it the disaster that you thought it was going to be? Or how did, how did people see you <laughs> after that? Um, my husband might have a different answer to what I do. I don't <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that, um, I think it's a journey that I'm still on. Honestly, I know yeah. that I, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not fully prepared to be vulnerable still. But those that know me and those that love me um, will put up with that and will journey with me until I reach the point yeah. where I can be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty, isn't it? That we know that when we're, uh, when we're loved, it's okay that while we don't want to be vulnerable all the time, that that sense of when we know we're loved, there's an openness mm. to being vulnerable and being open and asking the Lord for healing. Just as you were talking, I was really struck, um, Esther, just by the fact that your sharing of bringing that to the Lord about, you know, eating disorder and, you know, the opposite extreme of the kind of over-exercise, that, you know, even that testimony, that vulnerability in this five minutes, you know, is an openness for other people to be vulnerable. I found that with myself, Mm. that when other people have shared openly, it's made me want to share openly. So, you know, we read the woman in the scripture and we say, we want the Lord to gaze on Mm -hmm. us like that, no matter what other people say. 
But when when you share, when Ifa shares, when I share about of our vulnerability and our kind of yuckiness that we don't really like sharing, actually, it's the Lord's triumph in that, isn't it? Like I'm, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm really struck by. There's a, a podcast we I listened to a few weeks ago that talked about um, healed women heal women or something like that, or healed women heal the world. Or And I just thought, yeah, we're not going to be healed until uh, we get to the other side of heaven. But there's a sense of that vulnerability and openness really does help other people to, to be vulnerable and open. So thank you so much for yeah. just for being vulnerable and open. I think I think there's something that you're both tapping into there as well about um, that I, I, I'm hearing in in your story, Esther, and in what you're saying, Anna, but also in the scripture about being given permission to be vulnerable. Um, you know, Jesus didn't need to speak to her to heal her. He'd already healed her of her complaint the minute that she touched his cloak. But the conversation that followed is where he gave her permission and 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 invited her, and she did she was then able to tell the whole truth and I think quite often um you know society tells us that our problems are smaller than everyone else's problems and we should just shut up and carry on and you know get through it and and like you said that that whole thing I'm woman hear me roar I can get through this on my own I can just you know grip my teeth and get on it and and I think sometimes I think for me definitely sometimes I almost need someone to give me permission to be vulnerable before I feel brave enough to do that um and and that's what he does in that conversation. He gives her permission. And like you're saying, Anna, when we hear other people being vulnerable, that's an invitation that we can, it's an opening where we can share our own vulnerability. Because maybe maybe if someone else can be vulnerable in this space, then I can too, rather than being, yeah. it, it, it takes a lot more bravery to be that first person <laughs> to be vulnerable. But once you do, you sort of, it, it opens up all of these other conversations. And it, it makes me think of, you know, one of the really, really difficult topics that lots of women have to deal with is um, miscarriage and, and that sort of thing. And and it's one of those things that's never talked about in so many, but as soon as one person mentions, oh, I've had a miss, then all of a sudden, like, more and more women go, oh, yeah, and also I had this experience, or my sister mm-hmm. had this experience, or my mum had this experience. But we don't necessarily give each other permission to open up about those things until someone else has yeah, and it's such a vulnerable area as well, isn't it? And the Lord knows our grief. He may be well on the process of healing, but there's something in it. We're not meant to do it on our own. We're meant to yeah. live in community. And the gaze of other people on us should always be gazes of love. And, like, we don't get that right. But I think we, you know, as Christians, as Christian women, to begin to set that example and to really check ourselves when we're, looking on someone else in judgment to think actually what is their story you know how do i how do i look upon them because maybe that maybe there's something going on that i just don't know they might be annoying me right now but i don't know what hurt they've got and what what's going on for them i was really struck if by what you said about them taking those opportunities um from the lord taking those opportunities from the lord uh, to have conversation that he can heal in a moment, but the relationship, the continuing conversation, mm. it just, um, it reminded us of, um, I don't know if you, any of you've had the experience of being at Youth 2000 retreats. Have either of you been at Youth 2000 retreats? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Esther, you have, but if, if enough, well, just for, for your sake, if and for any listeners who've not been, 
there's a moment in the retreat um it's a kind of one of the key features of a youth 2000 retreat that they would um they would have a penitential service you know a reconciliation service and i think that one of the things that struck me most when i first went to youth 2000 was seeing young people queuing up for confession and i remember thinking oh wow like they really want to go well maybe i should really want to go <laughs> so that watching them really physically queuing for confession being vulnerable that encouraged me so that that's the that's the first part but the second part of the of the retreat at that point is that they um have a healing service where a priest or deacon would bring Jesus round in the monstrance, so true presence of Jesus in, in the Eucharist, and um, the priest would wear a humeral veil. And as he goes through the crowd, he pauses at each person and they touch the humeral veil after hearing this story. And I think, again, just witnessing, the first time I saw it, I thought, is this a little bit weird? I, don't, I mean, I know the story says that, but come on. But actually, the beauty of it of having that moment with the Lord and the anticipation of the conversation and wanting to touch the humoral veil to, to be um, connected to him, that actually the lead up to it while I was waiting for my turn, so to speak, the kind of the conversation with the Lord, I think is some of the most powerful conversations I've had with him. I'm really conscious that Lent is a really great time to maybe cut a little bit of time aside whether that's in adoration of the blessed sacrament or you know during stations of the cross on your friday if mm -hmm. or you know whenever the the time is amidst the quiet times that you may or may not get with little ones uh during uh lent esther but where can we find those times to have those conversations with the lord to begin or continue uh that that healing journey yeah i think this is this is maybe the time this is the moment so I, I guess, ladies, if um, if you're as you're listening, maybe we can start that conversation uh, now. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait to go to a certain place or be in a certain frame of mind. Whether you're walking or uh, cooking dinner as you listen to this podcast, or having a moment of peace or a moment of craziness, let's maybe just uh, take a moment now to enter into conversation with the Lord. If if or would you mind leading us through just a short time of of prayer? Whilst we are going into prayer, perhaps if you're not driving or you have a moment and you can scroll down onto the notes of the podcast, we put a link to an image there. The image is called Mary at Jesus' Feet and it's by an artist called Nicole Joyner. Uh, perhaps we can look at that image whilst we pray. So we'll start in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus, we thank you that you have healing in your wings, that just to be close to you, just to reach out to you, is enough for you to heal us. Perhaps as we're taking a moment to pray, we can take a moment to think, is there something that we've been carrying perhaps for a long time, perhaps only for a short time. A worry, an illness, a difficulty in a relationship, grief. Perhaps there's a part of you that you're hiding, that you're not yet ready to show the world. 
or perhaps there's a part of you that you're using as a mask or a shield to, to hide other parts, other vulnerabilities. Perhaps now is a moment where we could let that mask down. Jesus, we, we reach out and we tell you everything. Perhaps like Esther did, we can imagine ourselves in that crease in that crowd. Can you spot Jesus? Can you reach him yet? Are you able to put out your hands? Because Jesus does have the power to heal. Jesus' name can heal your anxiety. He can soothe your pain. He can help you to bear your disappointment and your loss. Can you push through the crowd? Can you get closer to Jesus? Can we kneel at his feet and tell him everything, the whole truth? I thank you, Jesus, that no matter how far off we are, even if we're not yet ready to give you the whole truth, those little moments of reaching out are all you need to reach back. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Beloved Podcast today. Thank you especially to Ifa and Esther for your contributions and conversation. It's been great to be with you. If you check out the show notes, everyone, the image that we've been talking about, you'll see the link to it there. There's also some journaling prompts and ways that you can get in touch with us via our social media and other information there. It's also worth noting that the retreat, the beloved retreat that was planned for February has now been moved to the 22nd to the 24th of April. Maybe if you've been on the retreat yourself, You might want to have a little think and a prayer about who you could invite who might benefit from going on the retreat. And last but not least, don't forget that the beloved album is also available now to be downloaded. Thank you once again for listening and we'll see you very soon. God bless.